Today is Wednesday. It's May 17th, 2023. It's 2.41 in the afternoon. Hi, this is John Williams. This is the Mincing Rascals podcast. You can listen to me weekdays on WGN Radio from 10 to 2. And we broadcast now pretty regularly, fellas, so I need you to be on your game. Portions of this podcast highlights on WGN Radio Saturday nights at 8 o'clock, which is a weird thing to promote here, isn't it? Because if you're listening to the podcast, what do you care if it's on the radio? But on the radio, I do say listen to the podcast. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> That's the introduction of me. Let's kick it over to John Hansen. Hey, everyone. John Hansen here, host of uh, Your Money Matters and Let's Get Legal on WGN Radio. I also work at Block Club Chicago doing their podcasts and uh, at the U on the Block, our uh, TV show. I'm Eric Zorn. I am the publisher and writer and chief bottle washer at the Picayune Sentinel weekly newsletter on Substack. By the way, John, you also didn't mention your other, you have many revenue streams. But you are the Blackhawks boy. Uh, You do all of their in-game announcements and contests at the United Center itself. And you are going to have front row seats then to uh, Connor Bedard, aren't you? Yeah, I'm very lucky. I uh, was there during two of the Cups, the last two, and then hopefully some more to come. Yeah, it's very... I mean, what a lucky bounce of the balls, literally. I mean, how they do the lottery yeah. to get the number one pick and just the number of people that have messaged me just how excited. I mean, the fans were excited this past year on a down year, on a really down year. Yeah. And they are jazzed. I'm pumped for it, too. And contrast that with what happened to the Bulls last night in the yeah. NBA lottery, which I, I love. I know you guys saw the back page of the Sun-Times, our sports section. There was uh, The headline was Lack Draft, and it was you know a play on the – on the movie backdraft, backdraft. Yeah. and it, it shows it shows like an NBA player in a in a flaming uh, doorway, <laughs> and it just, you know it like really was terrible news for the Bulls. They they have to give away their pick because they I guess they traded a certain window of picks they traded when they got when they got Vukovic yep. and yep. oh my god it's just like I mean that that team and you when you're watching I've been watching some of the NBA playoffs and the quality of those teams uh against the quality of the Bulls is is really striking and it seems like there's going to be a long time before we raise the banner in the United Center again Eric I'm reminded of that a lot when I see late in the playoffs teams playing that don't look anything like the teams I watch during the regular season. And you think, ah, the Cubs and the White Sox, those are professional baseball players. They're all professional teams and they're all kind of on a level playing field. And then you watch the MLB playoffs and you go, oh yeah, we're not like that. And if you, you can't help but feel that when you watch the NBA playoffs. We do not have a Steph Curry we do not have a LeBron James. You know, we're not Denver. Miami is. is we is we were like we had Jimmy Butler once upon a time, and Max Struess for that matter. But uh, okay, let's not talk sports right now. On the Fox News Morning Show, Fox and Friends, the color-coordinated cast went to a reporter to get local reaction to Chicago's new mayor, Brandon Johnson. So the reporter talked to people at a diner in Naperville and talked to some people who could not vote here in the last election. They also talked to some Chicagoans who happened to be at that diner in Naperville. And you'll never guess what they said, you guys. I don't think he's going to do any better than Glory Lightfoot. I have no uh, no confidence in him. Do you feel safe going into the city of Chicago? Absolutely not. There's just about nothing being done for the crime rate. So as you know, Brandon Johnson is being inaugurated today as the 57th mayor of Chicago. What do you think? 
I don't think he'll do well. About that, our Brandon Pope had a really good tweet. You guys see Brandon's tweet about that? Mm-hmm. I haven't blocked. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Brandon's great on, on Brandon Pope TV. Nothing unites Chicagoans more than, number one, outsiders bad-mouthing Chicago, number two, suburbanites claiming to be Chicagoans, and number three, interviewing suburbanites as if they are Chicagoans. But I will say this, Eric, I don't think Brandon Johnson is getting much of a honeymoon, is he? It is so easy to just stack up the things that are against him and already prejudge some of the things that he's trying to do. Are you, are you feeling that as well? Not so much. I mean, I thought that the coverage of his inaugural speech was deservedly quite favorable. I, you know, I thought it was one of the best political speeches I've heard from a, from a local politician in a really long time, unless you count Barack Obama as a local politician when he was running for president, that, that, that was, that was a terrific speech that he gave. It was, it was uplifting. It was unifying for the most part. I do have a, 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 some quarrels with a few of the things that he said, but just the, the energy of that speech, the reaction of the people in the room, uh, was, was kind of amazing. And I thought that it, it signaled that he has political talent to spare. And there was a Stacey Davis Gates of the Chicago Teachers Union referred to him as the Michael Jordan of politics the other day. And I, I, I took issue with that only in that I think he's clearly extremely talented, but the Michael Jordan made his reputation not on, on his flashy moves and his fancy dunks and stuff, but, but on coming through when things were really tough for bringing home games that really mattered. And so if Brandon Johnson is the Michael Jordan of politics, that means he's going to, he's going to succeed where we think that he might not. He's going to, when things get really tough, he's going to, he's going to really come through. And so it's all, it's still too early to see that. But when you see that kind of just ability to connect with an audience, that orator, those oratorical gifts that he has, that's really promising. I thought that it was promising the way he reached out to city council. And to the members of the city council, and especially the 13 newly elected alderpersons, congratulations. This is your day two, and you deserve recognition. And I'm going to turn around and clap for them. And said, I applaud you. That he, that he, was, he said, I'm issuing a call in, not a call out. I'm not calling out the business community. I'm calling them in. I'm calling in my critics. I'm calling in everyone. I want, I want them to, to come together and we can all work together to solve some of these enormous problems. I, but I thought that that, and, and I thought that was true of the speech and I thought the coverage of the speech reflected that. So, I, and I don't know how much honeymoon you get when there's the kind of trouble that we have, especially right now with the, with the migrant crisis. But uh, I haven't, I haven't sensed, I haven't sensed a, a lot of knives coming out for him yet. Well, you got to go to Naperville. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think it's really hard to have a honeymoon when you win by five points in a runoff, right? Lori Lightfoot won three to one over Tony Preckwinkle when she won, and she got a honeymoon up until COVID, right? About a year. Um, it's hard to have a honeymoon. When uh, almost half the city didn't vote for you and were very much against everything you stood for. And there's going to be a lot of quick things that are going to come up, right? We are going to have discussions about budgets and taxes. We already have some business leaders threatening to leave the city if certain taxes are pressed. We're just not in a political climate locally or nationally that offers anyone any sort of honeymoon um as for the neighborville just really quickly i don't want to dunk too much on gianno caldwell who is a commentator on fox news which i always don't like when commentators are sent out to be who is from orders yeah. who's yeah from naperville and look he's got a lot of 
skin in the game. His his younger brother was killed in Chicago gun violence. Uh, I've met Giano. He's not a bad guy, you know. Um, but I didn't like that it seemed clear that they had pre-interviewed everyone that they went and talked to. It was not a random sampling. No. And that always bothers me when it's presented as such, just from a kind of like a journalistic perspective. But... No, it's going to be a real rough ride for Brandon Johnson. And then I'm reading this report in Cranes today. I am too. Uh, yeah, about this, uh, his allies pushing this $12 billion financial package, which includes taxing people in Naperville if they work in the city. Now, I, Brandon Johnson, I don't think has endorsed this or has his name anywhere near this right now, but a lot of his allies do. So this could be a – there's no honeymoon, and it's if there is, it's it's ending fast. Well, And what was the uh, company that said they're going to – if we have a financial transactions tax – CME, or, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah I think it's a yeah. group. And and uh, I don't think those are bluffs because I don't think it's all that difficult for companies like that. These are these are trading companies. Everything's done electronically. The open outcry days are are gone, so you can move easily to another location. And so, adding a tax that's going to drive those people away is probably a bad idea. A dollar uh, to two dollars on every financial transaction on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and other exchanges that'll net the city two billion dollars, but it'll be a buck or two on every transaction. I think that that could just be devastating to the economy because I don't think they're going to ever collect a tax like that. I also, how are they going to, this also proposes a 3.5% income taxes on any resident making over $100,000, whether you live in Chicago or if you're a suburbanite employed in the city. I legit don't know how constitutionally. <laughs> yeah, right. They can, I don't have, I have, I live in Downers Grove. I have no representation in Chicago government. I seem to remember a phrase back in our history no taxation, taxation without, without representation. representation. How, I think we need well, Austin here for that discussion because he probably knows a lot more about it than I do. But I mean, you pay, you pay sales taxes, right? When you're in the city and you're buying your, because you've made a purchase when you're buying there. Your, when you buy your Lexus from a Chicago Lexus dealer, you're paying the sales tax. Keep taxes. going. So, but this no, is, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm saying you you do pay taxes in, in jurisdictions where you don't have representation. I think it probably could be done if you earn the money in if you earn the money in Chicago. It's taxes. Don't pro athletes have to do that? Like when you when you, in states, not in cities. I states, don't think. Okay, but well, maybe I mean, but maybe you're right. I mean. I should get a tax guy. Let, let, let me read this paragraph from the Crane's report. The group bills this tax as a levy on high earners. The first move would be to impose a city income tax of 3.5% on any high earning household with an income above $100,000 a year. $100,000 is a lot of money. But is that so much money that you are now designated your household? You're each making fifty grand as a high earner that you should have to pay 3.5% of that on top of well, your state and federal taxes to the city? It's, it's probably you're taxed I, I haven't read that article, but you're probably taxed on income over a hundred thousand so dollars. Uh, okay, say it's a marginal rate. Fair enough. So it's a marginal. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing because other, otherwise it would on any income above on any income above a hundred thousand. Okay. okay, but I, on I mean, that that the five thousand you made over a hundred thousand, you pay three point five percent to the city. Eric, you love that idea. I, I don't love the idea, um, but. I understand the need for revenue, and yeah. if you're going to get revenue, that you, you you're going to want to get it from people who are, who are going to feel the pain a little bit less. A hundred thousand seems like it's a, maybe a little low for I that. I think it's low, given for, given what people need with the expenses that households have these days. 
But I uh, know I'm not. I'm. I was in favor of, as you remember, John. I was in favor of the the fair, the graduated income tax, so-called fair tax. I, I think you know, graduated income taxes, progressive taxes, is the is the way to go in general. Now, you know, I think you could probably fine tune this proposal, but but I think it's it's fair and reasonable to do something like that. I just I just don't know how well it's going to sell, and I also I'm not sure if it would violate the state's ban on progressive income taxation or not. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I just don't know the, the law on whether state and city income tax laws have to conform to the side. state. Yeah, well, and I, I wonder, too, it's not it's not a bunch of tiers. It's just it sounds like a one step. If you make more than a hundred grand, if you're a high earner, my definition, by the way, of high earner is now and always has been anybody that makes one dollar more than me. <laughs> Right, because that's good. Because uh, you're not a high earner. I'm not a high earner. It's, it's me and Brenda. We got a house in Ottawa. How can that be? And you know, I've, I I make more money now than I used to. But I mean, um, I didn't grow up thinking I was a high earner, and 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 I I don't think that a hundred thousand dollars is what it used to be. If that sounds that's such a benchmark, you know, it's like a million dollars or something. A hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money. It's not so much money that I would designate you as somebody with a lot of fat on the edges if you live in the suburbs or if you got kids that you want to send to school or I don't know. All the, there's a lot of things we want you to do with your money, include, including saving it. I don't well, think there's a lot left over for a household after 100 k hundred grand is like two public school teachers married to each other. Yeah. Two or three years into the job, and we are notoriously think high school or public school teachers make a ton of money, right? I mean, like those are low end high uh, public school teachers, anyways. So, Eric, if you do like that, though, it's I think I would be more sympathetic to the idea, and I think I'm <laughs> I'm much more sympathetic to Brandon Johnson than I sound. My son said, "Boy, I could tell you I don't like Brandon Johnson," and my listeners will sometimes send me messages about that, and I think all I'm and I don't dislike him at all. He's been mayor for 20 minutes. Uh, I think it's so easy to get caught up in this stream of criticisms of his progressive ideas. I agree with you, Eric. I thought his speech was fan flippantastic. Lordy, can that guy write? Maybe his wife helped him too, Stacy. Uh, or, but he can sure deliver it. Whoever put the pen to paper, and I, I suspect it was mostly him. Um, he had some really funny things in there. You know, he said, "My, I grew up in a household where my dad was a preacher and a carpenter. Can you imagine the pressure when your dad is just like Jesus?" My father is here. He taught me what it means to work hard and to be accountable. This brother worked three jobs. Now, he was a carpenter and a pastor. Do you understand the pressure growing up in a house when your father is just like Jesus? (laughs) I've learned my core values of hard work and accountability and love that form the foundation for my approach to public service. And now I stand before you today as the new mayor of the nation's third largest city. And he made a a joke that resonated in that crowd anyway about the fact that he was on a payment plan. You can't make people feel bad because they have a payment plan. You can't stop someone with a payment plan from becoming mayor of the city of Chicago. 
And everybody laughed. And then he said, but you know what? You can't keep a guy on a payment plan from becoming mayor of this city. And everybody cheered. Uh, you know, the payment plan thing. I, I'm sorry. The guy was had two white-collar jobs. I think he was making close to $200,000 a year. He didn't need to be on a payment plan. I would have left that line out. I get it when people are living close to the edge and they get fall behind on their bills. I just think it was lack of attention. I, and I'm sure then that happens in families too. Yeah. But if you can't, you're not going to play the sad song on the violin for anybody who like just screwed up and didn't pay their bill and, and gets way behind. Uh, I don't see why someone who was, like I said, he was, he was a Cook County commissioner and he was a well paid lobbyist for the Chicago Teachers Union. I don't buy it that you can't pay your water bill. I was just going to say with the Brandon Johnson thing, because a lot of people think that I'm very skeptical and and concerned and don't like Brandon Johnson. I think it's more, I know that John Hansen 15 years ago loves Brandon Johnson. <laughs> and I know the one today has an eyebrow raised, <laughs> but still are. likes a lot of what he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will you make more money now than you used no. to, too, John? Maybe that's <laughs> Yeah, he's not going to not going to take any money away from you. <laughs> you high earner, that's, you. That's why that eye. That's why that eyebrow is raised. Uh, uh-huh. No, I mean his his he's called unity. I, I counted. He used the word together like eighteen times, and he talks about the soul of Chicago twenty times. I mean, he was talking about us all getting together and pulling on oars and going in the same direction and so on. And that, and that kind of stuff is it's great campaign talk and it's and it's great inaugural speech talk. It wasn't a time to lay out all his specific plans that that, that comes later uh when he does a state of the city speeches and so on that, that was i thought a very a very stirring speech again i had some some problems like I'm, i did not think that it was wise of him to invoke the adam toledo case uh especially when he was trying to link it somehow to the murder or the homicide with officer preston uh he, he put those two in the same thought and i thought that that was deliberately provocative i'm writing about that in my newsletter tomorrow which is deliberately provocative tears of adam toledo's parents are made of the same sorrow as the parents of officer Preston's parents. I just, I didn't, I didn't see why he, he had to do that. The he police said, department. The problem with that, of course, is that the Adam Toledo story, we all remember, is it's very that. controversial. Tell, but just, well, for well, those just who really, don't know. Really briefly, I mean, it was, it was in March of 21, and, and in the middle of the night, some gunshots are, are heard, and the shot spotter sends the police to a corner, and they see uh, 13-year-old Adam Toledo and, I guess, a 21-year-old man with him. And and Adam's got a gun, and he runs away with a gun, and Officer Eric Stillman chases after him, yelling at him to drop the gun. And he gets to a fence, and he throws the gun behind the fence and turns around with his hands up. And Officer Stillman evidently thinks that he still has the gun in his hand, and he fires all in a split second. And it was a terrible tragedy. It was terrible misjudgment uh, on the part of the officer. Adam Toledo died. Adam Toledo died, yes, and and uh, and he is now the. Uh, there's some hearings about whether he should lose his job. Uh, Kim Fox, the state's attorney, decided not to prosecute him. Anyway, it's a contra- controversial case, uh, a very troubling case, obviously, and no one wants no one wants to see anybody killed who had his hands up. But uh, you see, you also see what the officer was going through. But my my point is, you know, I don't want to litigate that that case right here. I want to say that that. It, it is a very controversial case, and the police department really feels, I think the rank and file really feels like, hey, we ask our police officers to chase down armed suspects in the middle of the night, and, and then when they make a, an error in judgment, 
yeah, it's bad, but we can't like they can't cost their jobs because otherwise they're not going to let they're not going to chase after people who have guns who have, who have just been shooting their guns off. And so th- there's a, a, a it's really controversial, and I didn't see why, given that he he needs to build bridges to the police department, why he would do that in the middle of that speech. That I didn't see any reason to do it. There are there are thousands, literally, sadly, thousands of family members of victims of homicide in the last two years that you could have chosen to, to equate their tears to Officer Preston's tears. And I don't even know why you'd want to do that because the loss of a police officer, well, I don't think we've talked too much about that, but it's, it is a really searing event in a city when you, when you lose somebody who you have charged with running toward danger and then they are, are killed in, in that act. It, the coverage that we've been giving, I think, in all the Chicago media to that to that uh, death has been really appropriate. That that is a, a, it's been a terrible today. A ter- terrible civic tragedy, and to equate that with this with this is very controversial case, and to sort of in some ways put your thumb on the scale of the hearings that are going on uh, for Officer Stillman's job. I just thought that it was it was a real misstep. The um, an officer, uh, um, John Catanzara, the the head of the police union who is you know an awful guy in most ways came out and gave a video yeah. saying you know, this was disgusting and inappropriate and and, he, and i think that he speaks for a lot of police officers and I, I just i just didn't get why why in that wonderful uplifting unifying speech johnson chose to give the middle finger to the police like that are you saying that if it had, if he had said laquan mcdonald's family that I don't even know why you'd why you'd want to equate Laquan McDonald. It's the two constituencies, Eric. Yes, it's the two sides of this very issue: the well, police any, and the population. You can say any any young person, any young person who was killed on the streets. Anybody? I mean, why would you take a really controversial case and link it to something that I don't think there's any controversy over the death of this of this officer, no. you know, Officer Preston? I don't, no one says, well. You know, maybe these kids were justified in in shooting or no. Everyone agrees that this is a horrible thing, and everyone agrees that hmm. uh, that we need to solve this crime. I just think that to put those two together. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I didn't. Get you. I, I didn't get. I, I didn't understand. Get I don't know if you're if you're trying to build a bridge between community and police. I think you need to show two examples where the, those were the two opposing factions of senseless death. I guess you could say. But I agree about the Adam Toledo thing seemed a little bit handpicked. Like, that's not so open and shut as perhaps Laquan McDonald or some other cases. It was such yeah. an artful phrase. He, he, he wrote it so eloquently, delivered it so powerfully. I was caught up in the, the prose, Eric. It didn't resonate so wrong to me when he said it because I just thought, yeah, you know what? Adam Toledo's family, this is a kid, what, 13 years old? Uh, I'm sure his parents and family are distraught every day, right? They don't say, well, are my tears comparable to somebody else's tears? Their pain is 100% real, and they own it every day, as does Officer Preston's family. One of them is a police officer. Another is a young man gunned down by the police uh, who's 13 years old. That's the gap. That's the divide. Uh, Listen, I think you've made your case well. I'll I'll take your point (laughs) under advisement. Uh, I was annotating the speech as he gave it and noticed to myself anyway that it wasn't until page four of my notes, four pages of notes, that there was much about the police and the policing of the city. Maybe that's where it should be. It's this kumbaya, let's all come together, I'm the sole man speech. But I I thought everybody's waiting to see how safe he can make Chicago 
And he didn't talk about the police until page four. And he didn't talk about them much. So I, I don't know if that was conspicuous by its absence, John, but I was looking to hear more about how he was going to bring the police under the tent. I, I've, I've read some criticism of that as well. I, I just feel like in an inauguration speech, you are not getting nitty gritty into details. You're supposed to have everyone leave the room feeling good, yeah. feeling positive. And I think that those are areas that require really really tough change and introspective um, analysis, and (laughs) that's not the speech to give it in. I am truly humbled and honored to stand before you as the 57th mayor of the greatest city in the world. And I truly believe that. It's not just the incredible natural beauty of our city as you look out over Lake Michigan. It's not just the outstanding food from pizza to Italian beef, to the vegetarian tacos. Boy, the guy can give a speech, though. I mean, it really was. Oh, yeah. This guy was entertaining and ad-libbing. And when the West Side people spoke up and started to cheer or do some shout backs, he shouted back with them and everybody laughed. The guy had great timing. And to my extended family here today, y'all didn't know how many cousins I had until I ran for mayor. And to my play cousins. <laughs> He's good looking. He had his silver suited son standing next to him and his beautiful daughter in the white dress and his wife. Everybody was color coordinated in black, silver and white. You know, how could you not root for the guy or root for that family up there? So uh, maybe I sound like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth, but I'm telling you honestly how I felt uh, at both in both instances right and, and watching his speech clearly i mean like i say charismatic uh, great speaker and he connects with an audience and he you know he has some, some of that uh you know church yes the, the preachers i mean there was there were elements of a, of a church service in that and it was very very effectively done i i, I do think though that given that about 48 47 percent of the public in Chicago voted for Vallis, whose entire message had to do with safety and policing and crime, that there was a way, a better way for him to have reached out, yeah. to have acknowledged that yeah. as a situation to talk about. Because, I mean, he's, I think he spoke more about the the migrant crisis yes. and more about Absolutely. Probably, probably the, uh, the unhoused than he did about public safety. And I think he's got to realize, I should have realized that that's more on the minds, or that is significantly on the minds of a lot of people out there who are watching but, that speech and who are also rooting for him. Are Vallis uh, voters watching an inauguration for the guy that you didn't see win? Oh, I think so. I, I, I mean, well, I what if the answer is no? Saying, hey. What if they're not, John? I mean, who cares? Well, I, I'm just trying. You're still to... talking to them or about them? No, and, and I think that there were acknowledgments to the people that didn't vote for me in the, in the normal pomp and circumstance. But I feel like it's your inauguration speech. You set a vision forward that you've already set forward, and you get your crowd riled up, and you get people excited about you being there, knowing that they're going to be the vast majority of the audience. You toss a few nuggets out to the other side, and everyone moves on, get to work. And I'm all about I'm all about bridging the gap, bringing people together. I think he did it enough in an effective way. I don't think he had to reach too much further to the other side. I still would have liked to have seen a straw poll of people in the suburbs on the mayor's race of Chicago. Pick them. 70-30? Vallis? Look, people in the most dangerous neighborhoods in Chicago voted for Brandon Johnson. On the west and south side, he beat Paul Vallis in the runoff, right? Do I, I remember that correctly, yeah, don't I? Very much so. The highest uh, highest crime areas he won, and won pretty handily in a lot of those wards. 
which I still don't entirely understand. Maybe it's just black and white, but you would think that they would go, you know, this guy is going to get more police on the streets, and he's going to and he's going to let him police the bad guys. And they did not vote for him in neighborhoods where they need it the most. I'm sure the answer to that is real simple, but so too is the opposite of that. <laughs> you think that there would make sense to vote for the guy who's going to put police on the streets. Do you think that's an? I wonder if for a lot of voters that's an old way of thinking. They have opened up to the ideas of long-term solutions about trying to fix neighborhoods from the ground up. If that if that message really resonates with people, because there's no, I mean, there was no doubt. If you ask any nearly any voter in Chicago who's going to put more police on, there's Paul Vallis. So it wasn't like. Brandon Johnson pulled the cloth over the eyes of people. I think he spoke honestly to yeah. what mattered to those people. And I think a lot, and when I say those people, I mean people on the south and west sides, of course. Um, I think what mattered to a lot of people was someone speaking differently about it. And I felt the same way you did, John. I thought that Paul Vallis would maybe not carry all those wards, but do a lot stronger in those wards. And perhaps the last five years has really changed the narrative for a lot of people and how they view policing in the way forward. Yeah, and we, of course, we don't know whether some of these voters who ended up voting for Johnson were soothed by his rhetoric at the end of the campaign, which was that he wasn't going to cut a dime from police. You know, this whole talk during the campaign that he had talked about defunding the police was a goal. And then he backed away from that. And toward the end, he's saying, no, I'm I'm not going to cut a dime from the police budget. I'm going to add 200 detectives, that this was enough for people who also believed, as, as John just John Hansen just spoke about, which was this idea that we we're going to deal with the root causes of crime. We're going to do you mm-hmm. know youth employment, all those other things, rather than just the more of a get tough policy that that Paul Vallis was was espousing. So so, I mean, I guess just the my overall sense is that that Johnson showed that he has the ability to connect with people he has the ability to get along with the council uh and that that's very promising i think that a lot of his ideas these taxes he wants to add uh, and these programs that he wants to add and the question of where the money is going to come from mm-hmm. all those are good questions and he's not going to get a much of a long honeymoon because some of these problems are really urgent it's not you can, you can wait around for a long time but but um I got to say, I think if if there's any progressive politician out there who's going to be able to do that, who's going to be able to thread the needle and inspire people and get the votes and and twist the arms to get it done, he seems to have the right (laughs) combination of traits to do that. I mean, I you know, clearly Lori Lightfoot's way of of shaming and scolding and fighting with people wasn't the way to get it done, and that's what voters said. Voters gave her seventeen percent, and that was just an astonishing performance or poor performance by her in the in the first round of the election that voters wanted another direction but they still want some some of this progressive yeah laurie burned some capital in that i thought it was inspired i thought it was like you go girl you're delivering the message and everybody loved it and laughed and cheered even as at her inaugural speech laurie turned to the city council and said the party's over later this afternoon I will sign an executive order to end the worst abuses of the so-called aldermanic privilege. But that didn't play well for her. I did just want to briefly go back, though, to this Acre board. So this is this group that is allied with Mayor Johnson, but is not necessarily 
decision makers, but I believe a person on this board, which includes Stacey Davis-Gates, is on his transition team. So these are people that tangentially feel they have some connection to the new mayor. And the things that they are calling for, they're saying, these are the things you promised on the campaign stump. So here's our accounting of it. Reinstate a head tax of $33 per worker in companies with at least 50 workers. That would net the city $106 million. John, I'm reading from that same Cranes article that you have, right? Mm-hmm. 33, so it's a head tax. If you work in the city and you have 50 or more employees, you got to pay $33 per person. I presume that's annually. They will. They want them to boost from five cents to nineteen cents the tax per gallon on jet fuel used at the airports. Raise the real estate transaction fee on sales of at least a million dollars by almost two percentage points. So if you got a nice house and a lot of money, you can afford the transfer fee. Uh, we talked about the three point five percent income tax to the city on income over $100,000. Another $960 million would come from a 0.4% annual wealth tax on the richest 10% of Chicagoans. This would be on your liquid assets, so your retirement accounts, your real estate wouldn't count. But money you have in uh, CDs and stocks, uh, your bank accounts. I don't know how they're going to calculate what your liquid assets are, but it would include your stock holdings would be covered. And if you're in the top 10% of the city's population, you'll pay 4%, four tenths of a percent of whatever that is to the city. And that would net almost a billion dollars a year. Okay. And uh, tax on any financial transactions on the exchanges, a dollar or two dollars on every single financial uh, Oh, that's the CME thing, yeah. Plus mm-hmm. a 13% digital ad tax would apply to bills for online advertising. So if you drop an ad online, you'll pay $13, uh, 13% ad tax. I mean, look, you got to raise revenue somehow. I mean, there's no doubt about it, right? I mean uh, – I don't. I just don't like any, any of these. I, 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 don't, I don't like all of these. That's yeah, my problem. that's that's probably more it. I don't see how you manage to keep people in town when or businesses in town. I mean, I, this digital ad tax. I don't know who pays it and where they have to be based. But if you're going to be based in Chicago, running a digital ad company, then you move your headquarters to Oak Park. <laughs> you and, walk I your mean, laptop there, across the line. Yeah. There's, so, there's so, so many ways around it. Um, and, and when you're starting to charge uh, this 0.4% wealth tax, that sounds like a very complicated tax to uh, to figure, to calculate. This is going to put accountants in, in business like crazy. Uh, if you're going to ask people to total up their, their, neck, their net worth based on all kinds of you know liquid or non-liquid assets that's just complicated i think it's going to infuriate people as much as anything and say oh you know what i i can move out to the burbs and not have to pay this i just i'm not sure that this is i mean i just i kind of think the immediate gratification the sugar rush from from charging rich people extra money uh in in a lot of different ways i wish austin were on this podcast yeah right he would would be making this point far more this is why he's not he's just like so he's losing it somewhere there's not a lot of analysis in this about what 
changes that are in spending, right? I mean, I think that's a huge, obviously, part of the equation. It's half of the equation. And let's let's be honest that a lot of these groups propose these numbers that make our eyes pop out of our head. And then the the more reasonable approach comes through from the mayor, and it seems like, oh, well, that's not so bad. And it's an easier pill to swallow once you've looked at the taxes that were proposed by more oh, fringe yeah, right. groups, yeah, right? Like, yeah. I, I mean, there, there's a lot of that going on, too. Sort of like what's happening with the federal government right now and the debt ceiling, right? 100 percent, right. I exactly. wish they hadn't titled their report. The title of this report, First We Get the Money. Like, <laughs> oh, boy. And yet, despite all of this. Did you guys see – I don't know who Scholaroo is, but it's um, – maybe it's an academic website, Scholaroo.com, uh, used a myriad of metrics to determine the happiness quotient for states across the union. I mean, everything from what the health of individuals are, what the layoff and discharge rate is for employers and employees – what the bankruptcy filings are, the anxiety and suicide rates in cities, but also what is the um, number of times people buy musical instruments and books because or pets because there's an equation for happiness around those things. They took all of these metrics and they said, okay, here's the states ranked. Where does Illinois land? Give you a nickel if you come within five. Twelve. I said twelve or twelve happiest. Wow. How about you, John? 37. Two. Ah! Good, good for us. <laughs> I know. Or, oh, sh- this is as good as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. This is as good as it gets. Uh, Massachusetts is number one. Illinois, two. Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, and Maryland. Uh, those mostly are cities with, or states with big, dense metropolitan areas. Uh, that offer great resources and quality of living and a lot of problems, too. Are they all blue states? Read them again. Are they all blue okay, states? Okay, Massachusetts. Yes. Yeah. Illinois, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, New yeah. Jersey, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Maryland. Yep. yep. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota. Is that still blue? Yes, it is. California. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> Are we going to throw this thing out now? Hawaii, oh, uh, Vermont. I'm reading the same thing now. Yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. They they didn't go to the Naperville Diner. That's their problem. Well, and you know, just to that point, the last five are all red states. In fact, if you just go the last ten, uh, well, I'll, I'll make two points here. The uh, last ten are Georgia, South Carolina, Missouri, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Alabama, Louisiana, Kentucky, Mississippi, Arkansas. Uh, all of those states do not enjoy high educational standards, right? So when you look at college degrees and graduation rates, those states tend to underperform, number one. But just one last point about this. If you did look at our neighboring states, so there's Illinois at number two. Our surrounding states are this. Missouri, number 42. Iowa, 26. Wisconsin, 21, Michigan, 32, Indiana, 39, Kentucky, 47, Tennessee, 43, Arkansas, 49. That's our neighborhood. And then there's little old Illinois at number two. That's because anyone who didn't like it already left. Somebody said that to me, like like Florida is number 30. And they said, all those angry people took their anger to Florida. They're still angry because that's who they are. But now they're in the Sunshine State. So you can't make some people happy. (laughs) Really, the people that are left in Illinois go, well, I must like it here. I haven't moved. (laughs) A bunch of knuckle chucks don't know any better. 
Speaking of guns, the state Supreme Court has heard arguments over the assault weapons ban. The state is appealing a previous ruling that struck down the law, which would severely restrict gun ownership of over 100 types of guns plus magazine clips. So we have a law in Illinois right now that is currently in place. It is to be enforced, even if it's not being enforced. But it really does severely restrict the ownership and sale, even possession of over 100 types of guns, including handguns and magazine clips. The plaintiff in the case is a downstate lawmaker who said that banning his owning of these weapons treats him unfairly since the law does allow military and police to possess these weapons. He said that that's unequal treatment. If it's the law, it should apply to everybody. Our state attorney general's office argued that the legislature is permitted to treat different groups of people differently since cops and military folk experience greater responsibility in our welfare. So they should be allowed to be exempt from the ban. Also today, the U.S. Supreme Court decided not to impose an emergency injunction in the state of Illinois and freeze the law for the time being. There's a guy in Naperville who wants to sell guns. He said, this is killing my business. The Supreme Court said, we'll talk to you later. That was huge news, by the way. The Supreme Court didn't take it. All it takes is five justices to want to hear it. You have six very conservative justices who ruled in a case last year against New York's what is it? A concealed carry law. Yep. And and when when Illinois passed this, the number of people that called in, I'm sure you got it too, John, that just said, well, it doesn't matter. It's going to be overturned by the Supreme Court. Uh, not yet. And in fact, the Supreme Court has never overturned an assault weapons ban, even when there was a federal assault weapons ban. So I don't know if assault weapons is some line in the sand that the Supreme Court justices don't want to touch. And maybe there is still some room for states to do this or They're waiting for the case that they feel is the easiest to overturn, henceforth overturning all the state's assault weapons bans. I don't know. That might be. They they declined to hear it in an unsigned order from the full court. It, It could be that they just feel the case isn't ripe yet, but it also might signal that they're willing to let states make their own laws when it comes to these certain kinds of weapons. I would certainly hope that would be the case. I think that, you know, the conservatives like to talk about states being a laboratory for democracy and so on, that, uh, I think it'd be an, an excellent idea to to give this a, a, a test. Although I think that a, a federal ban is really the way to go. Well, yeah, that's how you keep Indiana guns out of Illinois, right, Eric? Right. I mean, that's yeah. the problem here. That's certainly been my impression over the years that they can go down there and buy gunny sacks full of guns and bring them up and sell them in the neighborhoods here. So one other point that has just come up in these cases is what is a common use weapon and what is not. And they go back to the founding fathers who did not anticipate AR-15s, but that weapon is so commonly held now that maybe it does satisfy constitutional muster. It is a common weapon of the people. You can't ban the common weapons of the people that they'll use to defend themselves or fight back the militia, you know? Right. I, that The argument that a lot of people use against gun control is that there's no way the founding fathers anticipated these high-capacity guns that may be well and true but the founding fathers also didn't anticipate the internet the television radio and yet the first amendment still remains as strong as ever through those different mediums Uh, there are plenty of arguments to make against having guns and having assault weapons and having people have access to them but that argument i always felt is very bunk 
When I talked to Jeremy Gorner, who wrote the piece about it in the Tribune today, we didn't have a chance to get into this point much, and I don't know that we will here either, but neither none of these arguments seems to suggest that either the federal case or the state case, if the state prevails, will suddenly keep a Highland Park from happening. It's not necessarily going to make us all safer, like, okay, whew, the problem is solved. First of all, there's 100 million of those things out there. We have more guns than we do people in, in the United States. So there's still going to be a lot of guns, and bad people are still going to be able to shoot up parades if they so desire. But it just still seems to, on some basic level, make sense that, okay, it's a terrible thing we got all these guns out there. Why would the attitude about that be, okay, well, then let's just keep letting them sell and make more. If, if we've identified it as a horrible problem, it still makes some sense to turn the spigot off, doesn't it? I, I think what you're wondering is if performance politics, laws that maybe don't actually change anything are still that's what important. Yeah. And, well, I, no, but I, and I think that sometimes it is, right? Like, I mean, what else are you supposed to do? Try something. If that's the values of the state to, to, to not want assault weapons, and I imagine if you polled people in Illinois, I don't know what the number would be. Maybe 60, 40 wouldn't. You've got to try it. And sometimes performative politics helps inspire real politics down the line. Uh, that maybe seem aspirational of me, but I think that that's an important thing that sometimes even the laws that don't have the teeth that you want to actually yeah. do anything are still important to pass. We see this a lot with LGBTQ plus laws, uh, whether they have teeth or not, whether they're pro or against. They're still important. They speak to the morals of the state, of the municipality, and I think that it makes a difference. Yeah, I think it's absolutely true that when you, you can have a law like this that's passed, it's, it signals the way the public is thinking about an issue, and it signals their determination to actually do something about it rather than just to wring our hands and talk about the problem of mental health after or offering thoughts and prayers after some of these shootings. Plus, the law as it is also says that if you do have one of those guns, you're grandfathered in, we're not going to take it away from you. We are going to take it away from you if you um, unlawfully possess one. We'll come and get it. Good luck to the state police on that. But number two, you can have it. You just need to register it. And if you don't, then we're going to come and ask you to register it. Or there's some sort of canvassing that's supposed to take place, which is insane, not on earth in my lifetime will that happen. So talk about aspirational, John. If Even if that's hard to execute, it would seem to me like an AR-15 ban, an assault weapons ban in Illinois, doesn't harm people that want to have assault weapons. They already have assault weapons. And if we said, okay, this thing was going to go into place January 1st, go out and get them all. You know, you go ahead and buy them while you can. Meanwhile, there will always be a secondary market or a black market. I mean, and there will be other kinds of guns. So I just don't see, if this doesn't fix the problem, I don't see how it really harms people who want to have a gun. There's still going to be plenty of guns out there. So I guess we're just waiting. They did not rush their decision. We're just waiting to hear what they ultimately decide. I just want to ask you guys about one more thing. Elon Musk said that he does not care if his remarkable, sometimes incendiary tweets hurt his business. He said George Soros hates humanity. He defended that mall shooter in Texas as possibly not being a white nationalist, all evidence to the contrary. You tweeted this thing about George Soros. You said he wants to erode the very fabric of civilization and Soros hates humanity. Like, when you do something like that, do you Yeah, think I think about, that's true. That's my opinion. Okay, but why share it? When people who buy Teslas may not agree with you, advertisers on Twitter may not agree with you, 
Uh, I, this is freedom of speech. I'm allowed to say what I want. You wanted. absolutely are, but I'm trying to understand why you do because you have to know it puts you in a in the middle of a the partisan divide in the country. John, did you see that CNBC interview? And I did. You know, one thing I said on the radio, tell me what you think, is I don't think it plowed any new ground. Like, I, I wasn't shocked to hear that he didn't care that his crazy tweets could hurt his businesses. We've all known that, and he's, all, he's known that all along. But he sure owned it. I mean, he said, I don't care. You know, I'm reminded of the scene in The Princess Bride where he confronts the person who killed his father. And he says... Offer me money. Offer me power. I don't care. So you just don't care. I'll say what I want to say, and if if if, uh, if the consequence of that is losing money, so be it. It was eye-opening, but it didn't move me anyway. You know, it's it just made me feel like he's just such a strange dude. And I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt because I know he's Asperger's. He's talked about that on SNL, which can maybe impact some of his delivery. Uh, but just the things he says, I, I, I honestly think he's kind of just living in another world. But there are a bunch of people that live in that world with him. He, When I look at Elon, Elon Musk and hear what he says, he just doesn't seem like the same species as me and a lot of the people I know. And it, 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 I, it's it's something I, I don't think I anticipated ever feeling about other humans 10 or 15 years ago. Does that make any sense? I just feel like we're living in two different planets sometimes, and he's the leader of the other one. I'd never heard it put that way, but yeah, it's, you know, the way he talks about Twitter and the way he analyzes contemporary issues, the way he thinks about freedom of speech and giving, you know, all the Nazis and white supremacists all the platform they want, uh, very troubling. And it's, and anyone like me who's still pretty active on Twitter uh, it feels a little bit conflicted. I got to say uh, that uh, you know I do a lot with Twitter. I have I save tweets and post them on my in the Picayune Sentinel, and uh, it, I think it's a great news source. But the idea that I am supporting this man is uh, is disquieting. I've got to say. And like, who advertises on Twitter? You know, used to have some big companies doing it. Now I just see like candle companies and these really <laughs> strange, you know, schemes advertise. And, and he says he doesn't care, but I guess, you know, there's no Twitter shareholders anymore, but maybe he's right. Well, there's a new CEO, and I wonder if she's like, uh, this could have come up in the interview. You should have told me if I'm going to go out and court General Motors and Ford, Nabisco, uh, I would appreciate you dialing down the nuttiness. You know, his defense of the white supremacist that shot up the mall in Texas was that one of the initial posts about it was from some bot, it sounds like, you know, somebody who had no followers and insinuated that this kid was a white nationalist. He said it was a psyops organization that actually put this thing out there, and therefore it's bogus. It has no legitimacy. Okay, fine, but what about all the other evidence? Right. What about the tattoo and the patch? What about his previous writings? I'm all about natural skepticism i think that's healthy and i and i appreciate that he that he he advocates for people to be skeptical of information we hear first but when it's the police department the local police department who has no need to spin a conspiracy about this no motivation to do so whatsoever if they're the ones saying that he's has right wing or not right wing excuse me white nationalist tendencies then i think that's the end of that conspiracy theory, right? I think so. Can we talk about something else that I saw on Twitter today? And that was 
John Hansen posted Chicago months ranked <laughs> ranked in order from one to twelve by from be- from best to worst. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. give me your top three, and, Eric. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm I well, I'm just going to give you the t- the top three here. Uh, John, according well, to John Hansen, John's, okay. John's yeah. top John's top three. Oh, that he were um, here. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll give the first. I'll give the first five. Yeah. Okay. June. He wants June first. Yeah. Then September. Yeah. July. May and October. Those yeah. are his mm-hmm. top. He got it wrong, but that's okay. Wow. Okay. Well, well. Uh, what's uh, what's your view on that? Uh, I go June one. I did this on the radio. I think I had June one. Uh, I demoted May because I'm a little ticked off at it. I think I put September two, October three, up from number five, and <laughs> then uh, maybe July gets four. I move May down to five or six because I think May's underperformed this year. And then what did you snap at me when I said that to you in the <laughs> hall, John? That 11 of the 16 days have been above 67 degrees and above the average temperature, and it's actually been a pretty lovely May. Yeah. He's pretty good at that. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then what, what were your bottom three? Do you recall, John? I had March, January, February, and a lot of people have been wondering how March isn't last because you're right. And, and let me just also say, none of these months exist in a vacuum. I'm talking about weather. I'm talking about vibe as well. People wondering, why did I put June 1st ahead of September? They're very close, right? Nice weather, generally good to walk outside, not too humid. It's because in June... You're looking forward to the summer. It's the start. There's a vibe. We all stand up a little straighter in June. And September, well, lovely. It's the end of the summer. And we know that winter is coming. Okay, so that leads me to March and why that isn't last. In March, you get the time change. You get the later sunsets. Yes, it's still cruddy weather sometimes, and we're done with winter, but there's hope. February gets last because we are over winter Yet it's not over us, and that's why it falls in last. Yeah, I, well, I, I guess say I, I put this to my readers, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and they basically agree with Hanson. Uh, they have June and September first, which I, which I agree with that. I would put October as the third. I think October is yeah, a me glorious too. month. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the Bears are usually one and three by then. That's <laughs> true. And I've got, I've got. Uh, well, I, out of 108 responses so far, and I'm hoping to get a lot more when it, when I post this um, on the Sentinel tomorrow. But I've got 103 people asking them to rank the months, and they have May third, then October, then July. I put July down because July is often really hot and unpleasant. But at the bottom, I, I mean, March, January, February, those are those are pretty lousy months. I, I might put March ahead of December. In a way, because March has some great days in it, and it, there is a vibe in December that's you know Christmas, the winter holidays. Yeah. It's kind of nice. I I, I, know, I I could go either way on that, but but um, I think it's a really interesting uh, conversation piece you've got here, going handsome. So Dece- yeah, one of my more popular tweets. Dece- isn't it funny? Here we analyze <laughs> yes. guns and taxes and go, hey, which month do you like? Boom, you're a hero. So. December is prob. Where did you have December then, guys? Because I had December at uh, ninth. Wow, of the twelve. Think yeah, about that's the it. one I'm a little upset about. That I think uh, of all the no, great I'm gonna stick things to do in the city in December. It's such a fun month, right? It's Christ not- Kindle Market. <laughs> well, I don't know. We do Christmas at my house. We we try and go to all of the events. The the lights at the zoo. We go to the songs, of, songs of good cheer. We go to yeah. songs. We never miss that. We do the uh, Christmas sing along at the Old Town School or at the uh, Music Box Theater. So um, you like it over like a November? You'd prefer a December. 
December over to November. I think so. I think it would. I think it would be in my top six, certainly my top seven. You know, the problem is too, though, John. When I drew a line, I went, "Oh no, we got more bad months than good months." Like if you said, <laughs> yeah. "Where's the cutoff from?" Oh crap! It's five yes. to seven. Why? How is well, this the happiest state for crying out loud? I think the best way to actually do it would be if you did like a draft style, but you had to, <laughs> but you had to pick. A summer month, then a spring. That you had to pick one of each of the seasons before you could pick a second one from that season. You know, right? That, that'd be another way to do it. You know what you got? You guys ought to link up with some uh, talk show hosts in in California, in Florida, in Minnesota, Maine, and see if the see if those rankings from those from their listeners, their readers, uh, match up to ours. Because I'll bet it's different. I I mean, I know I lived one summer in Florida, and it's miserable down there. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. Well. You know, June through through August or September, you wouldn't want to be in Florida. What would Hawaii do? Just shrug emojis the whole (laughs) (laughs) way? What's what's a weather? My brother lives in a community where folks kind of, I think, scram out of Dodge in in June, July, August because it's 120 degrees in Phoenix. And um, so as much as we hate January, February, March, it would be interesting to see if their bottom three were June, July, and August. And those are two of our top five. Fun to end on that, though, Johnny. I really appreciate you pushing that out there. I needed that the (laughs) day you put it on Twitter because my show was sagging a little under the weight of some of these weighty subjects. So Even with speed jokes, still sagging a little bit. <laughs> Have you heard speed jokes lately? <laughs> I'm I'm going I'm into my fourth year of speed jokes. We've done them for three full years, twenty to twenty one yeah. to twenty two to twenty three. Yeah, we're in our fourth year. And some days you can tell. That's John Hansen <laughs> and that's Eric Zorn. I'm John Williams. We're produced by Ben Anderson and Pete Zimmerman. And we'll drop another pot on you next week. Eric, I didn't Thanks. do the recommendations this week because I didn't ask you guys to think about it. Um, and I want to do a thing on Succession sometimes, too. Oh. Because I think that show is hitting on so many contemporary Is it issues. two more episodes, John, then? Yeah, we should yeah. pick a date on the calendar, figure out when the finale is. And then make Eric watch a season and a half. Yes. I would, I would love to. I mean, I Hope would like to show. be on the Succession love, one, too. Really, so. he's into I love that. that show. Yeah, yeah, we talk about it a lot here. Maybe you just do a, maybe you just do a special, just special I love Succession. Well, I wanted I, to get I somebody to come on about it. it you, because, you know, if you go back, not this past Sunday's episode, but the one before that, the sort of similarities between the presidential election with Donald Trump and what they were going through on election night there and how you are asking the quote-unquote Fox News of that show to tweak its coverage to help a candidate was um, was so resonant, you know. Um, It was, to me, it was what happened if they didn't call Arizona for Biden. It would be like the opposite. Yes, right. It's weird that that show Like Fox chose the good way and then... This station did. And that's like the split in reality. Right. It's giving me goosebumps to even think about it because it, it was almost like PTSD watching that episode it, it a little bit. It was very weird. Yeah, I don't know how much I was loving it. But right. But it, but weirdly, in retrospect, weird. Fox chose the high road yes. and the network on succession. Well, I don't want to spoil it for yeah. you, Eric. You yeah, enjoy that thanks. show. And it's so good. And you watch it. No, it is good. Okay, I'll, I'll make it a priority. To- All right, fellas. I'm, not, I'm, only, right. Half, I'm only half employed anyway. So. All right. <laughs> you got time. All right, boys. See you you around. See you in a little bit. Bye-bye. Bye.
Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com. Thank you.